In the next 10 seconds, you're going to be entertained, educated, or informed by this podcast. Take your pick. This podcast is proudly on the Conduit Podcast Network, relevant to our interest. So about 13 years ago, it was about 2002, and I was a young college student, just starting college. And while I was in school, I remember my mother was a mortgage broker, making quite a bit of money in the mortgage industry. And uh, we were living in a nice home. Uh, she was a mortgage broker making quite a bit of money, and she looked at me and she said, hey, Andre, you're of age now, instead of we us making all this money and uh, using it with another agent, it makes more sense for you to go ahead and, and get your license and we can keep it all in the family. So while in college, I went ahead and pursued my license. And shortly after I got my license, I sold my first house to one of her friends. And the feeling I got was like amazing. I can remember seeing the look of her face and the check was nice too. Uh, it was a very impressionable experience for me. Shortly after that happened, the real estate market crashed. Um, when that happened, I had to make a decision. Was I either going to continue in real estate and go throughout these trying times, learning a new industry, or was I going to get a job? Had I known then what I know now, I probably would have stayed. Being young and being impressionable and being nervous, I listened to other people and I, and I decided to Leave the industry and get a job. And get a job. And get a job. Uh, the other agent that was training me at the time went on to being the number one agent in the city. How you like those apples? I actually had a wake-up call about five years ago, and I was working at T-Mobile, retail sales rep, making roughly $30,000 a year, not very happy. While I was at work, I can remember day after day going into work and feeling unfulfilled, feeling unsatisfied, feeling like I could be doing so much more. And it got to the point to where I literally became physically sick when I would go to work. I would get to work and I would feel nauseated or um, my stomach would feel queasy or I'd have a slight headache or whatever the case may be. I just felt off and feel out of place. But the moment that I would leave, I'd be just fine. So five years ago, I decided I was going to drain my 401k, leave retail, and chase real estate full time. It gave me a wake-up call to see that if I were to change what I'm doing, I can put myself in a position to where I can achieve the success that I wanted to achieve. And shortly after that, I was able to put myself in a position to where I can provide for myself. I've learned quite a bit, and now I'm in a position to where I can give back to others so that they don't have to go through what I went through. So with that being said, let's talk about what they don't teach you in real estate.
reached a hundred grand right now. I mean, right now. Raise your hand. And if you can use the same in the future, don't be stupid. Make a plan. This Fox News just want to talk about our welfare. But me, I want to talk about our welfare. And since they think we an abomination, I'm going to call this piece the Universal Wealthcare. Welcome to Universal Wealthcare on the Conduit Podcast Network. Welcome to the first episode of the Universal Wealth Care on the Conduit Podcast Network. This is your host. I am Andre Notice, real estate agent extraordinaire based out of Northwest Houston. And we're going to have a good time today just talking about real estate and what I can do to assist you. Just trying to give information back to the community, sharing some of my experiences, sharing some of the things that I've learned, talk about some tips, some tricks, some things that they don't really tell you. Before you go about buying a home, just to give you a breakdown and an outline as to where we're going to be, talk about some things such as uh, foreclosures, lease to own, how does that work, or lease to purchase, depending on how you look at it. Uh, We're going to talk about different loans that are out there for you, going about short sales, going about townhomes, uh, new construction. We're even going to talk about the home buying process and how does that work. So I'm not going to take too much time of giving you a breakdown. Go ahead and uh, dig right on into it and and get this thing started. So let's start off with the home buying process. Many people don't know, there are quite a few steps when you're buying your first home. The very first thing that you wanna do is looking to finding a lender or a mortgage broker or a mortgage bank, somebody who can actually look at your finances, look at your credit, and see what you're going to be able to qualify for. This is vital for the process because they're going to be able to look at what you have and tell you where you need to be and and where you're going. It's very similar to driving a car. Before you can get to point B, you need to find out where you are at point A. If I'm actually telling you to get to New York and you're in Los Angeles, in order for you to get to New York, you need to find out exactly where you are. So having that lender, having that, that specialist in that area, they're going to pinpoint and tell you exactly where you are so you can get to where you need to be. So that's what the lender does for you. So they're going to look at your, your credit, your income, your assets and liabilities, your debt-to-income ratio, and determine one of two things. Hey, based on what you have right now, you are pre-approved and we can get you moving forward at this particular amount. Or they'll come back to you and say, hey, based on what you have right now, I cannot pre-qualify or pre-approve you just yet, but here's why, and this is what you need to work on so that you can get to where you need to be. So that's the very first step, is speaking with a lender to get your pre-approval. After the pre-approval process, you wanna meet with an agent, like myself, to have a sit down, what is called a consultation. This consultation process is actually going to consist of you and whoever's buying the house with you, um, whether it be your spouse or whoever else is making the determining factor or or the decisions in this home buying process. Um, Sit down with the agent. He's going to break down for you the steps that it takes and find out what's gonna work best for you and for him both 
to get you where you need to be. Stage three is going to be the home shopping process. Just like when you're buying anything else, you always want to make sure that you have money. It's the same thing with buying a house. So what you're going to have to consist of are two checks. The very first check is going to be what is called an option check. The option check is for a certain amount of money, usually around $100, usually for between 7 to 14 days. And that check actually tells you or allows you the opportunity to opt out of buying that particular home for whatever the reason may be. So if you enter a contract with someone, you put an offer in the, in the house, that offer is accepted. For the next 7 to 14 days, whichever you decide, you can actually opt out of buying that house for whatever the reason. If you wake up the next day or you wake up a week later down the road and saying, hey, I changed my mind for whatever the reason, you can opt out of buying that home. The seller who has possession to that option check will hold on to that $100 for saying, hey, I accepted your offer. We had an agreement that you were going to proceed, but you've changed your mind. So out of respect for my consideration for taking the house off of your market for you, I'm going to hold on to this $100 for myself. That is the option check. The second check is going to be the earnest check. The earnest check goes to the title company, and that shows to the title company, it shows to the seller how earnest, how serious you are about buying this particular property. It also shows to them that I have money and I'm not just all talk. We are serious about doing business and proceeding in this process. With that, the earnest check is roughly usually around 1% of the sales price. So if the home is $200,000, I would recommend that your earnest check be about $2,000. It is not the real estate agent's job or any agent's job where they should be telling you what you or, or telling you what to do, but rather making suggestions, recommendations, giving advice as to what should be done. Ultimately, the decision is yours to make. So that's step or step four, rather. Step five would be understanding the offer process. When you're making an offer on the home, um, it's very important that you understand that it's always best to go with your highest and your best offer first. So let's go back to the same scenario. Let's say that home is listed for $200,000. That's what they're asking for. If the home is $200,000, I will come to you and I'll say, hey, John, the home is $200,000. It is worth that amount. What is the most you can see yourself paying for that particular property? If you tell me that you can see yourself paying $200,000, but you tell me you want to offer one ninety-five dollars to see if you can save $5,000, you can do so. The issue is, what if Sally Joe submits an offer for one ninety-six? dollars you just lost the house. The offer process is a little bit different from an auction process. In an auction process, you can see what the person next to you is going to offer. In an offer process, you're going in blind. So if you submit the offer for 195 and somebody submits an offer for 197 and you would have paid 200, you just lost your house. So I'll come back to you and I'll say, what is the most you can see yourself paying? 
if you tell me 195 and the same scenario, they come back at 196 and you're okay with that, that is your highest and your best offer. So it's always best to come with your highest and your best first so that you don't run the risk of losing that particular property. That's the process. From there, we'll move on to the inspection and option period. During your option period, I'm going to recommend that you actually set out time to give a call to an inspector. That inspector can actually be someone that you know, or if not, I can recommend one for you. The inspector is going to be looking to be paid at the time he does his job. Inspections usually range anywhere between 350 to maybe 450 depending on the size of the property. The inspector is going to come out, do his job, roughly takes about three to four hours. He will ask that you will come out towards the end of the inspection. When he comes out, you can ask him any questions that you would like concerning the condition of the property. He will give you his advice. He will give you his opinions. And you will be able to make a decision from there should you want to proceed with that property or move on to something else. The reason I am going to recommend that you make the inspection during the option period is so that if that inspection comes back unfavorable in your site, you can opt out of buying that house without being binded. You do miss out on the money that you spent for the inspection and the money for the option period, but it's better to spend 600 versus 200,000, part of the process. From then, we'll move on to the next step, which would be insurance and home warranty. Your agent should be uh, giving you recommendations for your insurance company. Even if you have an insurance company already, it is still a good idea to get homeowners insurance quotes from different companies. Loyalty is good, but you want to make sure that whoever you're working with has your best interest at heart. Not all insurance companies will do so. Always get a second opinion. Your agent should also be giving you recommendations and giving you different companies for your home warranty. And your home warranty will cover some of the appliances in the property to make sure they will be covered as well. Continuing from there, we'll move on to the next step of the process, which will be the lender appraisal. From this point, your agent may take a step back as most of his job is done, and you will be working primarily with the lender to make sure that your documents are in and the appraisal will be ordered. The appraisal is a document that is actually going to be ordered from the lender. The appraiser will go out, take a look at the property, and assess to make sure you are not paying more than a property is worth. If the appraiser comes back and that property that is worth $200,000 and the appraiser says that it's only worth one ninety-eight. The difference is $2,000. That would either have to be paid out of pocket by you at the closing table or that seller may have to drop the price of the property. One of the two things may have to occur should that sale of the property proceed. In my personal experience, I have not had a property that did not appraise, but it is very possible and it does happen. Renegotiation is a way to get around that. 
For the next step of the process, we'll move on to contingencies and conditions. This is where you will be working primarily with the lender to make sure that all of your documents are turned in, your tax returns, your W-2s, your bank statements have all been verified so that you can get your hard and complete approval. From there, your file will be submitted to what is called the underwriting process to make sure that everything is met and all things are good to go. Should everything come back complete, we'll move on to stage known as the clear to close. The clear to close means that all things are well and you are clear to close on your property. From that process, we move on to step 11 of the 12, which is the final walkthrough. That is when you and your agent will go back to the property, take a look at all the things that's being done to make sure that this is the home that you want to make sure that any repairs that need to be made have been made and you get to see the house one more time prior to the closing. The last step is closing and funding. Closing on the property and funding are two steps in one, closing and funding. Closing is when you will meet with the agent and the title company and sign the documentation for your new home. Closing is simply signing your signature for you to obtain the property. Funding is a step that happens after closing. Funding means that those signatures that you have signed have been verified and that the monies have been transferred. The funding process is very vital because the keys that you get for your new home will not be given to you until the property actually funds. Not just close, but funds. So you need to have all documentation that was signed be verified by the lender, and all funds have been transferred. Once the property funds, you will then get your keys. On a general or typical basis, if you close any time before around 3 p.m., Monday through Thursday, you should fund the same day. If your closing time is around after 3 p.m., there is a possibility it may not fund to the next business day. God forbid you close on 4 o'clock on Friday. That will be one long weekend. <laughs> Those are the steps in the home buying process, all 12. From then on, we'll move on to the next thing in real estate. Let's talk about foreclosures. I am often asked about foreclosures. How does that work? How would a person obtain a property that is worth less than what the market says as it works. Before getting into foreclosures, I would like to explain exactly what is a foreclosure. A foreclosed property is a home has been obtained by an owner and that owner has fell behind on their payments and the ultimate owner, the lender, has withdrawn the property from that owner in order to recoup their payments. So when the property is foreclosed on, uh, these people that have been living in the house are in a tough emotional state. Because they're in a tough emotional state, a lot of times these properties have been going through some type of vandalization from the people who are living in the house who have had it foreclosed on. Um, they bought the house, they've been behind on payments, they're being kicked out or evicted, 
they're upset, they're mad, they're emotional. A lot of times it leads to them tearing up the property before they move out. That is why the condition of the homes and foreclosures are not in great shape. Um, when you're buying a house, uh, the most common used loan would be the FHA loan. FHA guidelines is a government-issued loan. Under those guidelines, they do not allow you to buy some properties depending on the condition of it. It has to meet certain restrictions, guidelines, and codes for you to be able to purchase that property. Most foreclosures do not allow you to be purchased by an FHA loan because of those conditions and stipulations. With that being said, keep in mind before purchasing a foreclosure if you have an FHA loan, if it will actually meet those guidelines. The second thing to think about is that because those homes are undervalued, the target market for those foreclosed homes are also going to be cash buying investors. So you're also going to be betting against other individuals that are buying properties cash. If a seller has two offers on the, on the table, one is cash and one is a loan, the cash offer is going to be a lot more appealing to their eye. So it gives you a little bit more of a challenge to be able to achieve those properties. So keep that in mind the next time you're asking about purchasing a foreclosure. From then, we're going to go on to the next thing, which is a short sale. Uh, before a property is foreclosed on, it may be considered a short sale. A short sale is a property that has been picked up by an owner or seller, and the bank has allowed that seller to sell that property for less than what they owe. So the property is worth 200000 The bank or the owner of the property will allow them to sell it for one seventy-five. The foreclosure or short sale may still show up on their credit report, but they will no longer have that debt. So a short sale will also be considered as a sale that is going to be undervalued. Because of that, those homes are also targeted by cash buying investors. With a short sale property, buying those properties can be a tough cookie. Main reason why is because when you make an offer on a short sale, the banks usually look at one offer at a time. When they look at one offer at a time, they usually take between two, maybe even three months to make a decision. So you can have three offers and the banks may take two to three months on each offer to make a decision as to if they're going to accept or deny. So it becomes a waiting game with short sales. That process can be very tedious, but if you do win, it can pay off pretty well. Moving on to the next step, we're going to move on talking about different types of loans. As mentioned before, the most commonly used loan is the FHA loan. Um, the FHA loan requires for you to have 3.5% down, 3.5% of the sales price. That loan is the most common because not only do you have to have 
3.5% down, but their credit score is anywhere between 580 to 640. I highly recommend that you have at least a 640 plus to proceed with the home buying process. If you have less than that, it is a possibility to proceed and to close, but those stipulations can be a lot more tedious to adhere to. I do recommend having a 640 or plus for your home buying process. From there, you also have the next loan, which is a step up from the FHA, which is known as your conventional loan. Your conventional loan down payment is anywhere from 5 to 20%, depending on your credit. Your credit score should be a little bit higher than with an FHA, a little bit 640 plus, maybe even 700 to qualify for that loan. So a little bit of a stronger loan so you don't see as much of them as you would for FHA. From then on, you may have a VA loan. Those are for the veterans. Those people who have served in the country, country have, are able to receive a loan specifically for them to where they do not have to pay any down payment. It is a 100% finance loan. Uh, those are the three main loans. Their fourth loan is not used as much, which is called the USDA or the Rural Properties Loan where if you're buying a property out in the outskirts or greater of Houston, you can actually achieve a property or purchase a property similar to the VA loan where you have no down payment. So these are the most commonly used loans that you may see um, in the home buying process. FHA being the most common, conventional, VA, and USDA. Moving on to the next step of the process, uh, we're going to talk about lease to own or lease purchase. It's called different things. It just depends on how you look at it. A lease to own is a property that's been placed on the market from a particular owner, and that owner has decided to let that property be leased in order till it sells with those properties. Under most circumstances, they're being done by a for sale by owner. Um, they usually don't have a agent assisting with those transactions. Because of that, it is unlawful for real estate agents such as myself to work those transactions without an attorney. With that being said, we will oftentimes not get involved with a lease to own or lease purchase or anything like that. We typically recommend that you actually stick to either leasing or buying or renting or purchasing, depending on the terminology that you choose to use. Um, with lease to own, you are actually putting yourself in a position to where there are a lot of liabilities to where you are not covered legally. So with that particular transaction, it can actually get very Sticky, if you will. Um, it is my recommendation that you decide to lease or you decide to purchase. The lease to own option is not recommended. From then on, we're going to move on to the townhomes. Now, a townhome or a condo is a property that can be purchased primarily by the conventional loan, 
or by cash. Some townhomes cannot be purchased with an FHA loan. With that being said, uh, check with your agent to make sure the property that you're looking at as your subject property to live in can be purchased with an FHA loan if that is what you have. The second thing about townhomes is that the biggest misconception is that townhomes are relatively cheaper than buying a house. They really aren't. Um, do some research concerning townhomes and you will find that they are really not much cheaper than buying the standard single family home. Townhomes can be a little bit less maintenance, but you're not really paying less for what you do have. Moving on from there, we're going to talk about new construction. It is my recommendation that even if you're buying a brand new home, whether you're building it from the ground up or an inventory or spec home that has just been built, but nobody has moved into, that you still have a real estate agent. These sales rep that live that work inside the store of the or the house of of the builders, these sales reps are being represented by the seller. They do not have your best interest at heart. With that being said, when you walk in, you are game. You are fresh meat. They are looking for individuals such as yourself who do not have representation. They will then take advantage of the situation and unknowingly to you, you may not know that you have been preyed on. A real estate agent will make sure that the things that are being told to you from that particular sales rep is the way that it should be. It is highly recommended that you have an agent even with a new construction. It is true, the agents do not do as much as much work, but their job is to assist you in making sure that the process is going smoothly and that you are not being taken advantage of. You will find that there are some builders that will unlawfully work to give you incentives or give you extra money if you do not have an agent. I highly recommend that you stay clear of doing just that. Take note that these sales reps are working primarily under the seller. They are working under the seller's best interest, not yours. From then on, we're going to talk about the, the last topic for this evening, and that's going to be why buy a house now? I'm often asked, when is the best time to buy a house? As soon as you can. If you can buy now, by now. The reason why is because when you do buy a property when you can, and if circumstances do become hard, you can always rent the property out or you can sell it. You always want to buy a property as soon as you can because you do not know if you will be in that same situation in the future. The second reason is because housing prices are continuously going up in Houston. The longer that you wait to purchase a home, the more you're going to have to pay. The same house that was worth $120,000 10 years ago is worth one hundred sixty dollars today. 
So if you're able to buy a home now, do so before the housing prices continue to fluctuate. The last reason why I say the best time to buy a house is as soon as you can is so that you can take advantage of the interest rates. Interest rates are continuously rising slowly. The sooner that you buy a home, the sooner you can take advantage of what we have now under the 5% interest rate. That number may continue to grow in the near future. The very last thing I'd like to talk about is the little bit of added value that I particularly provide to all clients who buy a home with me. It is my gift to you to provide you with a housewarming party. I will provide the food, games, music, and such. Take pictures to make sure that you are able to enjoy the house that you have worked hard to achieve. This is my gift to you to make sure that all is well, that you have memories to share for years to come. I want to thank you in joining me in tonight's podcast, Understanding What They Don't Teach You About Real Estate. This is Andre. I look forward to working with you and doing what I can to assist you within this process. If you need to reach me, you can give me a call, hit me on the hip. Cell number is 832-620-9398. You can also reach me on Facebook at facebook.com slash A-Notice, A-N-O-T-I-C-E.